The Bible is packed with activity, both good and evil, that defied the laws of nature. Why don't we see this kind of supernaturalism occurring in our lifetime? What happened to miracles, sorcery, or magic? Today's guests believe that they may have the answer to these questions, and you won't see it coming. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Skywatch TV. I'm Joe Artis Horn. Are you in for a treasure trove of surprises today? We begin our fourth installation on the brand new series from Defender Publishing, The Mystery of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And before we continue this explosive discussion, I'm going to introduce who's in-house. First, he's a multi-time, critically acclaimed, best-selling author and CEO of Skywatch Television, Dr. Thomas Horn. Good to be here. Thank you. She's a credentialed private investigator with a degree in psychology that oversees the research arm of Skywatch TV and Defender Publishing, Allie Anderson. He's a documentarian filmmaker, best-selling author, and nationally recognized radio personality, Mr. Josh Peck. Hey, Joe. Good to be here. <laughs> And she's a credentialed, ordained reverend with a degree in Bible and theology, a powerful voice in Christian television, Donna Howell. Thank you. Good to be here. How many of you have gone bananas with the reveal after reveal after reveal that we've been experiencing over the last few weeks on this incredible new three-book anthology from Defender Publishing that people are describing as Tom Horn's magnum opus? and what I consider to be probably the most important work Defender Publishing has ever put out, it is the life of Jesus Christ illuminated in a way that has never been compiled ever before. And it's done in a way that everybody from laity that are just becoming familiar with the Bible itself, maybe new Christians, as well as Bible theologians and scholars that have been reading about the Bible and doing heavy lifting research for decades. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, Tom, you even said that in this series, as you guys were compiling the research, you even had epiphany moments for well, the very first time after decades in ministry. They absolutely were. Some of the stuff that Donna and Allie were doing research on for this book, I mean, I was like, mind blown, seriously. <laughs> and powerful. Like, the, yeah. like, how could this have been mm -hmm. hidden for so right. long? And Joe, I would add one other thing. Nobody's library, if you're watching this program, right. you need to know that your library is not complete if you do not have this three-volume set. You've not heard me say that before. I'm right. saying it about this three-volume uh, series. Every pastor should have this in their library. Every serious mm -hmm. student of either history or the Bible. It will literally transform your life. It will. It'll transform your life and theology, your respect for this unusual man who came to earth, set aside his godness, for want of a different term, to lay down his life as a sacrifice for humanity. Starting back with Rome, everybody else are trying to stamp out Christianity, and the harder they tried, the more it grew like a wildfire, yeah. until 200 years later, nobody on earth was saying, great is the goddess Diana. That's it right. brought That's about right. the literal downfall of all of these pagan entities, and this yeah. is part of what we're going to be talking about today. What happened. You know, the Bible only tells the truth. So you're in the Exodus and miracles are happening. The magicians of Egypt can mimic right. almost everything that was happening as Moses spoke the words of God to, to Pharaoh to let his people go. 
We don't see that in our world today. What in the world was it that happened that brought right. about a crushing mm -hmm. of these supernatural evil entities? And Donna, I teased that at the front of the program, but what Tom is saying is true. You know, we see all kinds of evil sorcery and great supernatural miracles in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But it appears that much of that has ceased to exist today. I mean, you guys wrote the sudden disappearance of sorcery may actually have something to do with the Magi who followed the star of Bethlehem. Yeah. How on earth <laughs> is that connected? Yeah. Right, right. right? I want to say that we got there first, but actually it came from the church father, Ignatius. He made this connection, and when he did, the scholars went bananas, and they started coming up with all different kinds of connections. Why don't we hear about that today? I don't have an answer for that, but we should be. This is why if you're a preacher, you need to buy these books. And I'm not trying to sell anything, but there's at least 66 sermons and probably at least <laughs> twice that going on in this Seriously. book. For yeah. real, for real. So to discuss the Magi, first of all, let's break down the Christmas Carol version of events. There was not three of anything. There was frankincense, gold, myrrh. Historians and scholars believe that, that that's why we come to the idea that there was three Magi, but there wasn't three events anything, biblically speaking. Uh, historically speaking, the traveling conditions of the ancient world, especially with three guys on camels or whatever, carrying these really, really expensive gifts. If they tried to go from afar in the east to Bethlehem, they would have been marauded on the streets by mercenaries. So the idea was that there are probably at least 12 to 18 of them. So we three, nothing. There was probably 12 to 18 of these men. Now, Magi, sometimes synonymous to wise men, but only as it reflects in Zoroastrianism and astrology reading and different things like that. The word Magi comes from the Greek Megos. Prior to that, it comes from the Hebrew Rabmog. Okay, and what this word is, is it links to the sorcerers in the royal king's court as far back as Babylon and further into Persia. So when we say the word magi, we're not talking about kings, we're talking about the king's men. And we're talking about the highest level of king's men. Now these men, what they were known for, their actual job description, they were prophets. They read the stars, they, they were magi astrologers, and they were literally the guys who would say, hey king, there's a guy coming and it might be another king from another kingdom. It might be a ruler or it might be in the case of Alexander the Great, there is a great destroyer coming or there is a great conqueror yes. coming. And guess what? Mm -hmm. His birth was predicted accurately down to the day by the Magi. So when the Magi in the time of Christ decided to start responding to this prophecy of this king of the Jews, that is why Herod, by the way, allowed him into his presence. The reason why Herod took the Magi seriously when they came into his presence and said, hey, there's this new baby, it's a new king, it's a king of the Jews. The reason why he said, go find him, tell me where he's at so I can worship him too, which of course we all know was a trick. He mm -hmm. thereafter decided that all of the babies under a certain age had to die, or the male babies at least, to cut off the line of this king. He took them seriously. Why? Because their predictions were known to be accurate. The Magi had a very powerful sway and authority in the ancient world. Right. Fast forward, they come to Herod. He says, find him, come back and tell me where he's at. They do go and find him and they fall down and worship him. Listen to me, there was no palace. There was no opulence. There was no gold and shining armor. There were no soldiers. They literally walked into this itty bitty little house with what scholars assume was approximately a Christ child the age of two, a munchkin messiah. I mean, <laughs> today the equivalent would be a kid on diaper 
strippers watching Yo Gabba Gabba. This is the Messiah. They fell and worshipped him. That's how much faith the Magi had. They were deeply entrenched in sorcery, divination, Zoroastrianism, which I know Tom's just busting at the seams to talk further about. (laughs) But the bottom line's they had no reason to have faith in this thing except something, insert Yahweh here, told them this is a real deal. Take this seriously. Then instead of going back to Herod, they obeyed Yahweh who spoke to them in a dream and said, go about some other direction. Don't go back to Herod. Now, here comes church father Ignatius, right? When these Gentiles obeyed what Yahweh told them to do and they worshiped the Messiah, church father Ignatius says, how then was Christ manifested to the world? A star shone in heaven beyond all the stars. By this, the star and the Magi's obedience regarding it, all magic was dissolved. All sorcery was broken. They were the representatives of the sorcerers in that day. Wow. So I'm not trying to strip away the prettiness of the Christmas carol. I'm trying to introduce a prettier concept. Right. They went, and because of their obedience, the magic and the sorcery in the unseen realm was broken. Wow. Wow. Donna, the only other thing that I would add to this is there is evidence that the modern magi, the Zoroastrians of that day, were very familiar with the prophecies of Daniel. So Daniel was this legendary Hebrew prophet. Everybody through the Middle East knew him. They knew his prophecies. And definitely, I believe this was also true of the Magi Zoroastrians. Why do I say that? Because uh, this story about Daniel had permeated the Middle East, that he was trying to get a revelation from God concerning the future of the Hebrews and the future of the world. And he's praying Uh, for 21 days, and he's not getting an answer. But then the angel comes to him and says this, Daniel 10, 12 through 14, then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come because of your words. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is important, resisted me for 21 days. By the way, Persia in that day was Iran and part of Iraq. So the prince of the kingdom of Persia resisted me for 21 days, but behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I had been detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in future days for the vision concerns days yet to come. This was a prediction that the Zoroastrians of that day and later on in the New Testament were fully familiar with Daniel giving this prophecy, this vision of the end of time that would include the coming of a child, uh, a Messiah, but also the coming of Antichrist. And he foresaw from the time of Christ through the weeks that we usually break up into the great tribulation period. So when they heard the announcement about this, they connected it to the prophecy of Daniel. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Persia was the seat of Zoroastrianism. This was essentially their history. Now, they didn't couch it the way we do, but they believe that there was a cosmic conflict between the god of light, Ahura Mazda, and the evil demon or god of darkness, Araman. That's why the series we're running at Skywatch right now is called the Araman Gate. This was their faith system. This is what they believed, and they saw that Daniel had keyed directly into this and tied it to the end time. So when they heard that a Messiah, the king of the Jews, I think they 
put two and two together and they went there. There's no story that they gave their lives to Jesus, but they did bow down and worship him. It's reasonable to believe that because from that point forward, Mm -hmm. the prince of Persia was broken. The God of darkness and his power and reach was confined by just the simple birth of this child and the world had not even yet saw what he was going to do to illustrate his authority over the powers of darkness. That's right. And then you run across the, the character called Simon the Magician in Acts 8, 9. It says, there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. What happened to his sorcery? Right. I mean, why do we run across this character in the book of Acts? Before time, the past, something was broken. And then later on, he sees the apostles are running around laying hands on people. They're speaking in tongues. Miracles are happening. And Simon wants to buy it because he yeah. thinks it's the sorcery has been discovered again. Right, right, Like right. there's proof all over the place, but it's just not made the right connection. Right, right. I want to switch gears, Josh, and get you in on this, Mm because as Tom has alluded, you do know a lot about the Essenes. Mm -hmm. And of course, how many of you, show of hands, have read Josh's book, The Lost Prophecies of Qumran, 2025 and the Final Age of Man? That book went so gangbusters (laughs) and so viral, it was insane, but for good reason. Josh, I consider you, if I want to know what is CERN up to or what were the Essenes about or Qumran, I know I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. I I consider you to be the most highly qualified expert over (laughs) all of those varying topics. Thank you. And so here's Donna. She's talking Mm -hmm. about the Magi, but it's not just them, is it? No, and, uh, but it does all connect because this has to do with the presence of the Holy Spirit on earth, that breaking of sorcery. Um, but this also has to do with some prophetic things that the Essenes wrote about. So right. for those not familiar, the Essenes were the writers and keepers of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, they, their theology was very close to Christianity, uh, and this would have been a couple hundred years before Christ. But... They had a calendar system that's much different than what we use. They actually saw all of human history as being broken up into a 7,000-year period broken up into what they called ages. So there were three ages that were 2,000 years apiece, and then one final Sabbath age, which we would recognize as the millennial reign of Christ. And then after that, the new creation. So they also split these ages into other time groups. There's a lot of them, but we can just uh, mainly focus on Jubilees, which is a 50-year period. And what they noticed is that at the end of each age, before the next one was going to come in, there was this final Jubilee period of 50 years, which was almost like a transitionary period. But during that time, you would have a lot of miracles, but also a lot of demonic stuff going. So a great example of that is the end of the age of Toro. That would have been between 25 AD and 75 AD. Well, you got all of Jesus' ministry, all those miracles, and then you got all the demonic stuff too that happened at that time. Now in the church age, that's, and they actually called our age, the age of grace. Uh, They didn't fully understand you know, what the church was going to be. Ephesians 3 tells us that it was a mystery to be revealed later. But in the church age, we know that the power of the Holy Spirit is restraining the power of darkness. And there's actually some interesting church history on that. But first, Acts 16, 16 through 19 says, uh, Now, as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit that enabled her to foretell the future by supernatural means. She brought her owners a great profit by fortune telling. She followed behind Paul and us and kept crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Just real quick, isn't it interesting that she didn't lie there? She's actually telling the truth. That'll be important in a minute. The verse continues. She continued to do this for many days, but Paul became greatly annoyed (laughs) 
and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at once, but when her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the authorities. We actually have further accounts of this kind of thing happening in early church history of actual magic and sorcery diminishing. Uh, So this is from Eusebius. Quote, about that time it is said that Apollo spoke from a deep and gloomy cavern. This would have been really early church. And through the medium of no human voice and declared that the righteous men on earth, Christians, were a bar to his speaking the truth. He suffered his tresses to droop in token of grief and mourned the evils which the loss of the oracular spirit would entail on mankind. So here Apollo is actually admitting (laughs) that Christians were making it difficult for him to speak. Um, But this kept happening. And it's really funny because it it sounds like he couldn't help himself. Because this kept happening and the, the old gods weren't speaking through the oracles anymore, weren't able to, there was a huge mass of Christian persecution. So even more, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit was actually causing um, these false gods to have to be honest when they were, when, when they were talking to Christians. <laughs> so there's other examples. of uh, Lactantius actually records Apollo's final messages before he just went dead silent. So first... Uh, he explains who he is. This, is. this is the words of Apollo here. He says, self-produced, untaught, without a mother, unshaken, a name not even to be comprised in word, dwelling in fire. This is God, and we, his messengers, are a slight por- portion of God. So here Apollo is actually making mention that there's a true God and it's not him. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that he's a, a messenger or an angel, you know, of his. This would be a fallen angel, of course, but he's actually admitting this. When he was asked how he wanted to be addressed, you know, how do you want to be addressed, Apollo? Apollo said, quote, oh, all wise, all learned, versed in many pursuits, hear, oh, demon. <laughs> Like he can't wow. help but to let the truth out. You know, he, he probably didn't want to say that, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but apparently he kept doing this over and over again. Lactantius continues. So this is Lactantius speaking. He said, "Quote and so again when at the entreaty of someone he uttered an imprecation against the Smithian Apollo, he began with this verse." O harmony of the world, bearing light, all wise demon. What therefore remains except that by his own confession he is subject to the scourge of the true God and to everlasting punishment. Mm -hmm. For in another response he also said, the demons who go about the earth and about the sea without weariness are subdued beneath the scourge of God. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in Christians not only was was just breaking down the powers of darkness, but it was right. actually causing them to have to be honest. And of course, that, that spread led to a huge persecution. But, but we see a resurgence of sorcery. We don't, we don't see sorcery and stuff like that in our church age, but we do see a resurgence of, of sorcery and witchcraft during uh, the tribulation period. So one example, Revelation 9, 20 through 21, says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and idols, gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders nor of their witchcraft. So something changed. Uh, Witchcraft exists again in the tribulation. Well, we actually know exactly what changed, and this is exciting, and this is a big source of hope for all of us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 8 says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. 
and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So the Holy Spirit is the restrainer, and when he's taken up, we get to go with him. That's obviously the rapture. And then on earth, the kingdom of darkness isn't going to be restrained anymore. So the, the, wow. that restraining force of the Holy Spirit in believers will be gone during that time. Now, according to the Essenes, here's where it gets really exciting. The year 2025 marks the beginning of the final jubilee, a transition per- period between the church age and the age to come, the millennial reign, where they expect to see miracles and sorceries and that kind of stuff as well. I believe, personally, the first of those will be the rapture. After that, everything's unrestrained again, and we're back to a time of sorcery and all, all, all that darkness, but we won't have to be here during that, so that's really exciting. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the three-book anthology, The Mystery of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, and we want to make sure that you know how you can get a copy of these three books along with the largest giveaway of the year. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, Donna Howell, Dr. Thomas Horn, and Allie Anderson team up to bring you their magnum opus. Introducing the brand new three-volume anthology from Defender Publishing, The Mystery of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. This new collection is being described by those closest to Dr. Thomas Horn as the most important body of legacy work he's ever written. And it's being offered right now in Skywatch TV's largest giveaway of the year. Skywatch TV is proud to announce The Mystery of Jesus Grand Giveaway, Volume 1 of the mystery of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation begins in the Old Testament and reveals multiple ways that Jesus made personal appearances on earth called Christophanies prior to his birth through the Virgin Mary. The many links between Mount Sinai, the day of Pentecost, and the ascension from astounding but largely hidden revelations in the original Hebrew and Greek. How the words of the prophets regarding the someday Messiah preceded a 400-year season of silence and anticipation that led to disastrously incorrect interpretations of who he would be when he arrived, and so much more. Volume 2 begins in the New Testament and demonstrates what social and political events transpired during the intertestamental period that led to a movement of numerous false messiahs whose military pursuits splintered the Jews into various disjointed sects, each with their own misguided documented messianic expectations. How extra-biblical and apocryphal books written around the time of Jesus give fresh insight on New Testament characters, their true identity and reputation, and how that affects proper biblical interpretation, the real and largely misunderstood purpose of Christ's ministry years on earth, and why there is an apparent deficit of miraculous manifestations in our day, and we're barely scratching the surface. Then Volume 3 moves directly to the apocalypse, where you'll learn clear-cut, comprehensible explanations behind even the most enigmatic and hard-to-understand symbols in Revelation that anyone can read and understand. How Jesus, present and active in all 66 books of the Bible, makes his grand and final entrance in shining glory to welcome into the new Jerusalem all who receive the free gift of salvation. And we're just getting started. Presented in three brand new volumes, The Mystery of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation is organized in a way that is guaranteed to fascinate and boggle the minds of everyone. From seasoned scholars to new believers, this is the life of Christ illuminated like you've never experienced before. 
When you order this incredible collection, you'll also receive the new Best of Defender Publishing ebook collection on DataDisc. Now, for the first time, this must-have assortment features 120 of the most information-packed best-selling books in Defender history, including the never-before-digitally-released version of the Defender Family Bible, featuring Old and New Testament with expanded apocrypha. These full-length works are in popular ebook formats, so you can read them on Kindle, EPUB, PDF, and other handheld electronic devices. Give this collection as the ultimate gift to somebody you know this holiday season, or take them with you wherever you go. Valued at over $2,000 all by itself. But that's not all. With the holidays just around the corner, now's your chance to save big and receive bonus merchandise. As included in the Mystery of Jesus Grand Giveaway are any number of brand new super quality overstock gift books, DVDs, or audio sets to add to your library or giveaway as gifts this coming holiday season. Sold separately, these items hold a retail value of over $2,000. Yours now for your donation of only $35 plus shipping and handling. This is the largest giveaway of the year, just in time for the holiday gift giving season and is available only while supplies last. So don't delay. The Mystery of Jesus Grand Giveaway. Available now at skywatchtvstore.com. Order now or call 1-844-750-4985. Welcome back to Skywatch TV. I'm Joe Artis Horn. I want to continue right before we run out of time with you, Donna. We're talking about the three-book anthology, The Mystery of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, during this week's program, we've been talking about where did the sorcery, the magic, the mm -hmm. mysticism that we were seeing in the Old Testament taking place so often, where did it go? Josh had some really neat insights, and I laughed a couple of times. It almost sounded like mandatory truth serum from the Lord. <laughs> yeah. You can't really fight it. Yep. You have to tell the truth. Exactly. Right. But Donna, you know, we've covered why sorcery has ceased. But in the New Testament, of course, miracles were happening left and right all over the place. Yeah. Why don't we see that kind of activity today? Right. Well, it's first of all important to remember that we do see a lot of that activity outside the West. We have a little bit of a faith crisis going on in the West right now. I, I think that there's probably, and I am not talking to you particularly at home, so don't be angry, but I think that there's a lot of people that have a very selfish motive when they ask for a certain kind of miracle. Hmm. And I, I think that when you look back at the original languages in the New Testament, what is being described there is not necessarily something that benefits the asker. So what we're looking at, miracle in the New Testament, is the Greek word simeon or sign. A literal word-for-word -word translation of the word miracle in New Testament is sign. So what is it a sign of? The Lexham Theological Word Book, they state this word is the object or occurrence that makes it possible for one to recognize something important that is otherwise ambiguous or unknown to the spectator. So we give this as an example. This basic sense is attested in the New Testament in the instance, listen to this, has nothing to do with any supernatural activity, in the instant where Judas's kiss serves as a sign... Uh, revealing Jesus' identity to the men tasked with seizing him. So without Judas' sign of the kiss, the Roman soldiers wouldn't have recognized. But that has nothing to do with the miracle. The word sign 
So when you read that there's a miracle happening, you need to remember in the New Testament that Jesus was brand new on the scene. He was the Messiah who was coming to fulfill. Of course, it's going to happen all over the place because these miracles are serving as a simeon, right? A sign. So there were signs of Jesus's supernatural authority over nature and also signs of the power that was given him by the Father. So we have to, when we ask, when we pray for a miracle today, we have to really soul search. Look at every single miracle given in the New Testament. These people shot up, ran around, preached the gospel and said, you'll never believe I met this guy. They're calling him the Messiah. They're calling him the King of the Jews. Look at what he did for me. If you're not willing to do that, and God knows your heart, if you're not willing to do that, don't expect an answer to your miracle that you're asking for. It's in the Greek. It's for the benefit that Jesus would be shown as a sign that he had the authority from from the Father. Right. Join us next week as we discuss what Paul really meant when he wrote to the Colossians that Jesus removed the writ and what eternity really looks like. For everybody here in studio, everybody on the panel, I'm Joe Horn. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. We'll be back.